If you've been traveling with us uh, through this series in the book of Daniel, uh, you will know that he was uh, taken from his home uh, at a very um, early age. As a young teenager, Daniel was uh, plucked from his home in Israel. Uh, He was taken from his people, the the Jewish people. Uh, He was then transplanted into uh, a city called Babylon, uh, a city of evil kings and uh, debauchery. Uh, Daniel's city, his people, and his nation uh, are now in a terrible state of affairs. The temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed, and the walls of that great city have been turned into rubble. During this time, during Daniel's time in Babylon, he is tempted and he is tried time and time again, uh, yet we have seen Daniel remain faithful. Uh, And and even more astonishing than Daniel's faithfulness is uh, we are shown and told what is the root of his faithfulness, which is God himself. Um, This isn't just a story about Daniel being faithful. Uh, It's actually a story about God keeping Daniel uh, faithful all throughout his time in Babylon. At this point uh, in the story, as we find ourselves in chapter 9, Daniel is an old man. Uh, Most commentators believe he is in his late 80s. Uh, And so for decades, uh, time after time, uh, three times a day, every day, Daniel has gone and prayed to his God. Uh, Daniel has prayed um, and prayed and prayed some more. Uh, He has continued to pray even uh, at risk of death. Uh, As they said, you you can't pray to anyone except the king, and Daniel still goes and prays to uh, his God and, and as we know, is thrown to the lions. This is how dedicated Daniel is to praying to prayer uh, and to praying to his God. God. And in chapter 8 and chapter 9, what we see and what we get is an insight to the heart uh, of Daniel's prayer. I'll just read you Daniel chapter 8, verse 13 says this, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular uh, burnt offering? What, What we see here is one angel speaking to another, asking a question on Daniel's behalf, again, starting to reveal to us the heart of the question Daniel is asking. The heart of the question that Daniel is asking is this, How long? Lord, how long am I going to have to suffer in Babylon? Lord, how long are you going to let your people um, be shamed in this way? How long are you gonna let your temple sit in ruins? How long are you gonna allow other nations uh, to mock us? We, We have been destroyed and beat down and persecuted. Lord, how long are you going to do this? Lord, when are you going to act? When are you going to do something, God? That That is the heart of his prayer. Just, just look at verse two in, in the chapter we find ourselves in now. Chapter two, or, uh, sorry, chapter nine, verse two. Look at this. Uh, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord uh, uh, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations. The number of years. He, he's wanting to know how long. How long is this going to keep on going? And so some of you are here this morning and you're asking that same question. Lord, how long? My my 
husband doesn't believe and I've been praying for his salvation for years, yet he remains in rebellion towards you. How long are you going to allow this? You, you find yourself in, in debt and you're saying, Lord, how long? How long are we going you, you find yourself in, in a marriage where there, there is just tension, the, the, the communication is, is terrible, and you're asking yourself, Lord, how long? How long am I gonna be feeling this way? I, I feel alone, I feel depressed, and it seems like I've felt this way forever. So Lord, how long are you going to allow this to happen? Lord, when will you act? When will you do something? This company that I've tried to start and get it up off the ground just isn't going anywhere, Lord. How long are you gonna allow this to happen? Some of you have been abused and, and you still carry that pain and, and you're asking the Lord, how long will I have to carry this? Some of you come from broken homes and broken families and there are scars that you carry and you're asking the Lord, how long? And that's the question Daniel is asking today, Lord, how long? And some of us are asking that same question. I think what makes it more difficult is that we are not patient people. So when we ask the Lord how long, what we're meaning is fix it now. Uh, we, we want the Lord to do what we want him to do and we want him to do it right now. We, we live in a microwave world. Everything is instant, right? You have instant access to everything uh, to, through the device uh, in your pocket, right? You, you can get out that phone and, and, and have instant access to everything. We, we live in a microwave world where there are drive-through windows and self-checkout lines. Our world is designed to be immediate because we all hate waiting, but here's the problem. The problem is you cannot demand now to the Lord. Anybody tried it? How did it work for you? It went terrible for me. I got nothing, right? We cannot demand now to the Lord. So we're all, all of us in the room at some point in our lives will or are now asking the question, Lord, how long? And, and we're demanding now to the Lord, but he simply is not relenting. And so we're stuck in this place saying, God, how long are you gonna let this go on? How long will I be in this position? How long will my work situation be like this, Lord? How long? Well, here's the answer. The answer from the Lord is this. Just wait and cling to me. Now, uh, that may be the most unsatisfying answer you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> but that is the answer. For us, as we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, how long? How long will I be stuck in this situation? How long is my marriage gonna be this way? How long will I carry these scars? How long will I feel like I'm lost in a sea of depression, Lord? How long? Nine times out of 10, the answer from the Lord is just Wait and cling to me. That's the answer. Well, we don't like that answer, do we? That's not a very, doesn't sound like an answer at all, but like I said, that is the answer from the Lord. So just wait and cling to the Lord. 
He will get you there exactly when you need to get there. We are the little kids um, in the back seat asking dad, are we there yet? How much longer, dad, are we there yet as you're traveling to the, the great beach vacation and, and you're in the back seat saying, how long, how long, are we there yet, are we there yet? And God is the gracious father in the driver's seat saying, just a little longer, just wait, just wait. So today in chapter nine, uh, we're going to see that that is the heart of uh, the question that Daniel is asking, Lord, how long will this be? And just a quick summary of uh, the entirety of this chapter, uh, we're going to see the setup, uh, we're going to see the prayer, uh, his prayer is interrupted, and then the answer to the prayer. So the setup, the prayer, the interruption, and, and the answer. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the setup uh, in verses one through three, Daniel chapter nine. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king of the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Um, so I, I, love, I love it when the Bible does this. In the first year of Darius, uh, th what the Bible does for us time and time again is it squarely plants this in a historical context. Friends, the Bible is not fairy tale, it is not fable, it is not folklore. He is telling us exactly who this king was, exactly when this took place to, gr to ground us in a historical context to let us know this is actually true, this actually happened, this is God's word and it's truth, amen? So what we see from uh, Daniel is that apparently he is praying. He is crying out to the Lord, Lord, how long will this be? How long will this happen? And he is reading his Bible. Uh, so he is crying out to the Lord with his Bible in his hand and God reveals something to him through the prophet Jeremiah. So, so there he is in Babylon, the, the scroll of Jeremiah, and he likely reads this verse, Jeremiah 29, 10, through 14, for thus says the Lord, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. There it is. He's crying out to the Lord. Lord, how long are we gonna be stuck in Babylon? How long are you gonna allow your temple to be destroyed? How long will you keep your people uh, from the sacrifices and, and from the worship? And it is answered here for him in Jeremiah. Again, uh, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with your whole heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. He asks of the Lord, Lord, how long? And he gets his answer. Here's how long, Daniel, 70 years. <laughs> not five minutes, not 10 minutes, 
Not, here you go, Lord, how long? All right, here, I'm gonna take you straight there. 70 years. Now, that's not even as a decisive answer as it seems on the page, because here's the question. 70 years starting when? I mean, he's 80 years old now. He's been there for decades, but when did the 70 years start? Did the 70 years start when, uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem, or did it start when the temple was destroyed, or did it start at some later point? Well, Daniel doesn't know, neither do we. He just knows it's 70 years. Okay, well, when does the 70 years start? When does the 70 years end? So even though it's there uh, from the prophet Jeremiah, Daniel still doesn't know. It's gonna be 70 years, but, but who knows when that 70 years started and when that 70 years ends. So he's still stuck in the same place. How long, O Lord? But look back at it. I, Daniel, perceive in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, the prophet Jeremiah, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face. So there was something about what was said in Jeremiah that caused him to go into prayer. So I, I read this verse in Jeremiah, then I went into prayer. Here's what I think it is. I believe Daniel believes that God is sovereign. Daniel believes in the sovereignty of God. Here's what that means. That means God is in control of everything everywhere, and it is for that reason that Daniel moves into prayer. So whether the 70 years is gonna be up tomorrow or the next day or the day after that or 20 years from now, he knows God has said, I am going to act. I am going to take your back to Jerusalem. I'm going to reestablish my temple. I'm going to do it. And he believes that God is sovereign and powerful and can do it. And that's the very reason that he goes into prayer. The sovereignty of God is his motivator. I, I think it's a great question, but, but I think it's a misunderstood question when people say, if God is sovereign, then why pray? It's the fact that he is sovereign is pray. If you were to ask Daniel at that point in time, Daniel, who's in control of Babylon? He would have said King Darius. He would have said God. Yahweh God is in control of Babylon. He's in control of Babylon. He's in control of Jerusalem. He's in control of the whole world. And he has promised that he is gonna get me back home. He's gonna get the people back home. So therefore, I'm gonna go to him in prayer because he's the sovereign ruler God of the entire universe. Why wouldn't I go talk to him? So it is that motivation that drives him to pray. Now, here is how we're going to look at this prayer. Uh, I'm going to read it again in its entirety, uh, and then we're going to look at three aspects or three elements um, of this great prayer uh, of Daniel. So if you would look at it with me again, we will, like I said, read it in its entirety and then look at three aspects of this great prayer. I prayed to the Lord my God, and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong 
and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings and to our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To you, uh, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servants of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us this great calamity from under the whole heaven. There has not uh, been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done and we have not obeyed his voice and now O Lord our God we brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself at this day we have sinned we have done wickedly O Lord according to all your righteous acts let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem your holy hill because our sins for our iniquities are our fathers in Jerusalem your people have come a byword among all those around us. Now, therefore, O oh our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O oh Lord. Make your face to shine upon the sanctuary which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear in here. Open up your eyes to see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. Um, there are three aspects to this prayer as he pours over. There's a, there's a sense that he's saying the same things kind of over and over again. There's a sense of repetition here in this prayer um, because his heart is, is being poured out before the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. The first aspect that we see in this prayer is adoration. We see this great sense of, of him pouring out praise uh, to God. Um, just look at verse four. I prayed to the Lord my God and, and made confession saying, oh, great and awesome God. This is where he starts in his prayer. He starts his prayer by saying, great and awesome. He, he is giving praise to the God of of heaven. He does this in verse 7, in verse 9, in verse 14b, in verse 15, that God is great and awesome. To him belongs righteousness and forgiveness and mercy. The Lord is righteous in all his works. He has a mighty hand. He, he is just pouring out praise to this God. Friends, I, I think the saddest thing in our own prayer lives is adoration is the most neglected thing. 
We, we forget to praise God for who he is and for what he's done, yet it is one of the most essential parts of prayer is to praise God for who he is. Now, why? Why would I say that? Why would I say that adoration is such an important part of prayer? It's not as if God needs a theology lesson. We're not, so as he's saying, God, you are great, you are mighty, you are wonderful, God's not going, oh, yeah, you're right, I am. Thank you for telling me that. I had it slipped my mind. Thank you, Daniel. No, what's happening here is that by doing this, Daniel is reminding himself of who he is talking to. This is why adoration is such an important part of prayer because as we go to God in prayer, we need to be reminded of who we're talking to. God, you are the great creator of the entire universe. By your very word, you spoke everything into being and we praise you because you are gracious, you are merciful, you are Lord God, the heavens, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That will totally transform your prayer life if you can get adoration at the center and the heartbeat of your prayer. Because then as you move forward to the other parts of prayer, again, you're reminded of who you're talking to. So Daniel begins his prayer uh, with adoration. Petition is not the main point of the prayer, although there are petitions. He begins to praise God for who he is. He doesn't treat God like the great vending machine in the sky. He doesn't see God as the almighty Amazon.com in the clouds. He goes and he gives him praise and adoration. That is what Daniel does. And as a matter of fact, this is exactly how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, what's the next part? Hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. There, that, that sense of reminding us who we're talking to, that, that sense of uh, bringing our minds back to the center of who God is. He is holy, he is gracious, he is just. So, for those of us asking the how long question, don't let your frustrations rob you of adoration. When we get in those places in our lives where we're asking how long, Lord, how long will my marriage be difficult? How long will I struggle with this sin? How long will my work situation be this way? How long, Lord, how long? That generally creates in us a sense of frustration it's a frustration then robs us of adoration in our prayer because when we go to prayer, we don't feel like doing any adoration because we're frustrated at God because he hasn't given us what we wanted right then. Friends, for those of us who are asking the how long question, don't let your frustrations rob you of adoration during your prayer time. Remember, remember you're talking to, remember who you're praying to. Say things like you are the God who knows and sees all things. You are the God who has plans that are better than mine. You are the God whose timeline is better than mine. Now, not only do we see <clears throat> adoration in this prayer, we also see a whole lot of confession, do we not? There's a lot of confessing. Uh, in this prayer, in verses uh, five, just five and six. We have sinned 
and have done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside your commandments and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, the princes and our fathers. Time and time again, as he rolls through this prayer, he he is offering confession. We have sinned. We have not listened. We We have disobeyed. We have transgressed. At one point, he even calls their acts a treachery or being treacherous. He is offering uh, confession. What I love about this is right now in our country, we seem to be obsessed with candidates who tell it like it is. Well, that's exactly what Daniel does. He tells it like it is. He says, we are sinners. We have sinned. We have not obeyed you. We have not listened to your word. He calls sin what it is, which is sin. Friends, we we live in a world to where it is becoming very, very unpopular to call sin what it is, sin. We would rather not say that. We would rather say that's their preference, that this is their preference. So, So it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's not a matter of sin or righteousness. It's really more of a matter of preference. This is their lifestyle, and this is how they choose to go about their life. And so what's right for you might not necessarily be right for them, and so they can go own thing in their own way, and that's fine. And you do your thing in your own way, and that's fine for you as well. Daniel here has no room for that, and he calls the sins of their nation sins. That's exactly what he says. Now, what is uh, interesting is this. For those of us asking the how long question, maybe the reason the Lord is holding you up is because of your sin. So some of us might be asking, Lord, how long will my marriage be in this shape? And the Lord is saying to you, how long is it going to take you to repent? How long is it going to confess sin? How long is it going to take you, husbands, to step up and spiritually lead your homes? Wives, how long is it going to take you uh, to follow the leadership of your husband and support him in in creating a godly atmosphere in the home? You're, You're going, Lord, how long? And he's saying to you, yeah, exactly. How long? How long until you confess? How long until you repent? How long until you do the things that I've asked you to do? That that is what we see here uh, from this text. Just look again uh, at their issue. Look at uh, six. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Meaning the people that God sent them, they did not listen to. It says the same thing in verse 10. So in verse six and in verse 10, God had sent them people to tell them what to do. Okay, here's what you need to do, yet they refused to listen to it. I think for many of us, the reason that we feel stuck, the reason we feel held up is because we are not listening to good, wise, godly counsel. Your pastor, who loves you dearly and calls you each week to serve your whole life to Jesus, to to give your whole life to him, to to walk in steady state community, uh, to spend time in prayer, to read your Bible, to to, to do these things, and yet people refuse to do them. You have good, godly community group leaders who are asking you to do things, telling you to do things, yet so oftentimes we refuse to do them. That's our sin, and that's the sin of that nation. 
What's astonishing to me about how Daniel prays is the corporate nature of it. Remember, Daniel, he's a pretty awesome dude, right? I mean, he was chosen from the nation of Israel because he was the best of the best. They they took him uh, and, and then placed him in Babylon, and there he remained faithful the whole time. Yet, there is a corporate nature to his prayer. We have sinned. If anybody to say, they have sinned, they did wrong, they acted wickedly, I think it's Daniel. Yet Daniel uh, takes a corporate nature, uh, the corporate nature of their sin onto himself and confesses to God, God, we have sinned. He is a part of that nation and confesses the sin of his nation in a we, not them form. As I thought about that this week, I saw just a beautiful picture of Jesus. Do you see it? As Daniel took onto himself the sin of the nation, Jesus Christ on the cross takes onto himself our sin and kills it on Calvary's hill. So we see adoration, we see confession. We also see petition. Let's just read 16 uh, through 19 again. Oh Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem. Verse 17, now therefore, oh Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant. Oh my God, incline your ear. Verse 18, verse 19, oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention. There is petition here. He is asking God to do something. God, act. Do something, God. Help help us down here. Here he is asking God to act, to do something. For For those of us who are asking, God, how long have you asked him to act? Sometimes when we go to the Lord in prayer, we're saying, God, how long, how long are you gonna take? Right? My my marriage is a wreck, my job situation isn't working out. How long until you fix it? This is terrible. And that's it. We just go to God and complain, and we don't ever ask him to act or to do. That's what Daniel here. He's asking God to act. So note, his petition is not based on the goodness of God's people. Oh Lord, forgive us. We'll do better next time. We will try harder. We just need a fresh start. Oh God, Lord, you can count on us. Rather, he is asking God to forgive them and to restore them to the city based on the gracious character of God. That's the petition. The the petition was for your own sake, God, for your own sake, for your name, do this. So as we go to God in prayer, are you asking God to do things for his name's sake or for your name's sake? So so when you go to God and you say, God, uh, we're broke, like real broke. Uh, Lord, we need you to uh, bless us financially, okay? Uh, the Lord might say something back like this. Uh, no. And here's why. Uh, because when you're broke, you are dependent upon me and you're clinging to me, uh, which is a better state for you to be in. So I'm gonna keep you broke. Because you're not asking for financial blessings uh, for my namesake, you're asking for financial blessings for your namesake. Because when I do, and I have blessed you financially, uh, you do not invest in the kingdom of God and you find pride in your wealth. So no, I'm not going to bless you financially. I'm gonna keep you right where you are. 
So when we ask God for things, our heart and the center of it must be for his name's sake. There's nothing wrong with asking for financial blessing. You should. Oh, God, bless us financially so that we can uh, give that money away. God, bless us financially so that we can help plant more churches. God, bless us financially so that, so that my children will have a great future. That, that's, that's a great prayer to pray, and you should pray that but it should be for God's glory. God, bless my marriage, not just uh, so that I'm happy and, and things go good, but God, bless my marriage so that we as a marriage team can be about you and about your mission to see more people hear your gospel so that we can raise godly children who love you. God, bless my marriage. That is praying for his namesake and not your own namesake. And that's exactly what Daniel does here. He is petitioning God based on his good character for his namesake. So in the middle uh, of this great and fantastic prayer, he is rudely interrupted. Okay? Uh, it is not polite to interrupt people while they're praying. I don't know if you know that. Uh, but if you're God, it's okay. So <clears throat> as he is praying, uh, he is interrupted. Look at verse, uh, verses 20 through 23. While I was speaking, right in the middle of his prayer, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God from the holy, uh, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your pleas for mercy. A word went out and I have come to tell it to you. L listen, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. There he is asking the Lord, uh, to, to forgive, he, he's doing adoration, he's doing confession, petition, and all of a sudden, Gabriel's in the room. Now, we saw uh, and, uh, last time, and, and we've seen this time and time again, when an angel shows up, um, they're not cute, chubby babies. Um, generally, in the Old Testament um, and in the New, when angels show up, people fall down like they're dead, they fall on their face, it's not like, oh yes, I was having my morning cereal and an angel showed up and we had a chat. No, if that, like, you fall down like you're dead. So there he is praying, Gabriel's up and says, I think, the, the perfect thing. And, and again, here's what I was thinking about this week is, as he's, God, how long, how, when you're made to wait, and, and I don't know if, this is probably just me. When you're made to wait, it makes you feel like you're not cared for. If somebody says, hang on, I've got something more important to do, that means you're less important, right? It, it, it makes you feel, so, so you're asking God, God, how long? How long am I gonna be, how long is my marriage gonna be this way? How long is my work situation gonna be this way? How long am I gonna struggle with all of these sins? How long am I gonna carry this shame? God, how long, how long, how long? And he says, wait, there's something that creeps in for me anyway that makes me feel like 
God is not being loving to me, that he's got more important things to do, that he's putting me off because he doesn't care about me. What I love about what Gabriel says here is not you're being put off because I don't love you, Daniel. You're being put off because I do love you. Did you see what what he said there? At the beginning, am I pleased for mercy? A word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. Everybody look right up here. If you are a Christian, you are greatly loved. God loves you. And it's not based on anything that you've done for him. He loves you because he loves you. He likes hanging out with you. He likes spending time with you. He likes your annoying laugh. Um, he, he, look, God loves you. And so for those of us who are in this position where we're going, God, how long, how long, how long? You don't even care about me. You don't love me. That's why you got me stuck here. No, 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 no. God is using that situation to bring about your good. Though it's difficult, though it's trying, though it's hard, God is using it in your process of sanctification, meaning he is using it to make you more like him. He's doing it to love you, even though oftentimes it doesn't feel like love. So, Gabriel here comes to bring understanding, which I think is ironic because this text, the next part, is incredibly confusing. So uh, I'm gonna read it, um, and I'll just say this. I have no idea what this means, okay? Not a clue, uh, but I'm gonna read it and try to lead us through it. Um, So let's just read it, okay. Okay. So he comes to bring understanding. Here is what the text says next. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place or most holy one. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week, uh, for half of the week, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. Okay, here we go. Um, so if you go read any commentaries, if you got five commentaries uh, on what this says, you're gonna get five different answers, okay? No one agrees. When I say that, I mean literally no one agrees about what this says. Um, and like I've already stated, I have no idea, uh, not even a clue of what it means. Uh, but here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're going to create two categories here, okay? Category over here is what I think, Okay, category over here is going to be what I know, 
Okay, so we're gonna talk about what I think it says, what I think it means, uh, and then we're gonna move over here and talk about what I know it means. Is that okay? Can we do that? I, th I think that's the best way to do it. Listen, I was gonna try to list out all of the different options, but like I said, the list is too long, okay? People really disagree about this text. I was gonna say, okay, well, this guy over here thinks this, and this guy over here thinks this, but, but like that would have been the whole sermon, just telling the different ideas of what this means. So I'm just gonna tell you what I think it says, and then I'm gonna move what I know it says. Now, so let, let's get started. So the question being asked, the question that Daniel is asking is what? How long, O oh Lord? How long are you gonna leave us in this state, in this place, in this, in this way? So the answer is given to him in the very beginning. 70 weeks are decreed about your people. Now, I don't think that we must take this literally. Why? Well, because in the Bible, seven and 70 are numbers of completeness. Uh, example, Matthew 18, where Jesus tells Peter to forgive, what? 70 times seven or seven times 70, uh, that equals 490. So that doesn't mean Peter can keep a tally book. And when time 491 comes around, he goes, aha, I don't have to forgive you this time. Um, rather, it, it is a symbol of completeness. Um, so I think what is being uh, said here is, uh, in the perfect timing, I'm going to, or in the complete timing, in the complete time that I've set up, uh, you're gonna get home. The, the people of Israel get to go back, okay? So 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin. Okay, so he's asking, when are we gonna get home? When are we gonna rebuild the temple? And he's given the time, but he's also given something way more than what he asked for. Listen, if, if you totally black out and have no idea what this text is saying, I, I want you to hear this. Oftentimes, as we pray, we're asking for things that are so incredibly small, and God in his mind and in his heart has something so huge for us. Here, he's just saying, hey, when are we gonna get home? But God has got this massive, redemptive, uh, historical plan he is about to lay out um, for Daniel. Just, just look at what it says, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness. I mean, that's, he was saying, when are we getting home? God's saying, I'm gonna do a little bit more than that. I'm not only just gonna get you home, uh, I'm gonna put an end to sin. I'm gonna usher in an everlasting righteousness. So if we're interpreting this text, when does that happen? When Jesus comes on the cross, so he's saying, uh, how, how long until we get back to Israel? God's saying, I'm gonna get you back to Israel and I'm gonna send the Messiah and he's gonna put an end to sin. Okay, so when does sin end? When is iniquity atoned for? It's atoned for on the cross. So I, if, if we're at that point, I think we can move forward and look at these other questions in the lens of a redemptive historical narrative, okay? So here are the 101 questions for this text. What is the deal with the 70 weeks? Is, why is there 62 weeks? Is it literal? Is it symbolic? Who is the prince? Who is the anointed one? Uh, are they the same person? Who are the people of the prince? Uh, what is the strong covenant that is made? Why is it only made for a week? What is the wing of abomination? Who makes desolate? What does this text mean, right? There are more questions that you could ask about it. But from the very beginning, what we see is this to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. So again, we understand the scriptures through a redemptive historical narrative, meaning we believe the Bible 
at its heart, essentially, is about Jesus and his atoning work on the cross. So I think we can move forward looking at the prince, the anointed one, as Jesus. Now, that becomes really difficult as you get into verses 26 and 27, but let's just work through it again. I am still way over here in this is, this is what I think category, okay? Now, the coming of the anointed one, Uh, spoken of in the text is the showing up of Jesus, but in a troubled time. Jesus did show up in a very troubled time. Jerusalem uh, at that point in time is still under Roman rule. Uh, There is great internal uh, and political strife and turmoil. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. On the cross, Jesus was cut off and he had nothing. His friends had left him. God turned his face away. The father turned his face away. Um, And the only possession that he had, which was his clothes, uh, they were gambled away by the soldiers. Jesus was cut off um, in our place for our sins. So again, this text is looking forward to not only the return of the exiles, but it's looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who is then crucified. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the sanctuary. What's that talking about? Well, again, I think the prince here is clearly Jesus, so the people of the prince would be the Jewish people or uh, Israel. Um, So Jesus and his people, okay? Uh, So Jesus is the prince. Uh, The people of the prince are the Jewish people. They destroy the city with their disobedience. Now you're saying, wait a second, Rome destroyed the temple in 70 AD. Yes, but it was destroyed because of the Jewish people's disobedience. They rejected and crucified the Messiah. Therefore, because of their disobedience, God allows the Roman Empire to destroy the city and the temple in 70 AD, and it remains non-existent today. Okay, still with me? Anybody with eyes glassing over, totally lost? All right, I'm just gonna keep going. Here we go. And he shall make a strong covenant with the many for one week. I think this is uh, talking about the new covenant that Jesus comes to set up through his cross, again, because the context is uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This is the new covenant that Jesus makes with his people. He will be our God, and we will be his people. He establishes that covenant on the cross. He, that is Jesus, shall put an end to sacrifice and offering uh, what happens when Jesus is crucified on the cross? The, uh, w- the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom and the temple, like I said, is destroyed in 70 AD. Therefore, Jesus did put an end to sacrifice and offering. Th- that is no more. There's no more need for any more sacrifice or for any more offerings because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the ultimate offering. So yes, the city is destroyed and Jesus puts an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, here is the most hotly debated and contested part of this whole um, answer given uh, is verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. I've already said that's the new covenant. Uh, and put an end to sacrifice and offering. Okay, here it is. This, is. this phrase right here, everybody disagrees on it. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. What does that mean? Like I said, I have no idea, but here we go. What is the abomination? Well, it is the one that we have already talked about, the rejection and crucifixion of the Messiah, and the desolation is that of Jerusalem and the temple, okay? So, 
to sum it all up. If, if you've blacked out, come back. Here we go. Here's the summary. So I believe that this prophecy finds its fulfillment in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the subsequent destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, thus ending the sacrificial system. Everybody take a deep breath and let it out. We did it. Okay, now let's get way back over here and talk about what I know this text means, okay? Because some people say the prince is Cyrus. Some people say the uh, the the. The one who ends the sacrifice is the Antichrist. I mean, it, what do we know about this text? What are we certain of? Number one, here's what we're certain of. God's timing is often slower than what we want. There's 70 weeks, there's 62 weeks. People are, do we take it literally, take it not literally? What's going on? Here's what we know. God's timing is often slower than what we want. So for those of us who are asking, Lord, how long, it's probably gonna take longer than what you want. Listen, when they, just, just think about how God has unfolded history. When they sin in the garden, Jesus could have come and died for sin right then. Could he not? Sure he could, he's God, he can do whatever he wants. Yet thousands of years of history plays out for the coming of the Messiah and here we are 2,000 years later waiting on his second advent. God has a history of rolling things out very slowly. And I think the point is so that we remain dependent on him. What do we know about this text? Number two, we know this will ultimately be fulfilled at the second coming. Look back at it as it talks about the end of sin, uh, as, it, as it talks about to atone for iniquity, to bring about everlasting righteousness, that will ultimately be fulfilled, whether whatever this is talking about here, we know that the ultimate ending of sin, the, the ultimate answer to the question, how long, Lord? All of those questions will be answered then when Jesus comes to set up his forever kingdom when he returns, when the trumpet sounds, when the clouds are rolled back and Jesus shows up, that will be the ultimate end to sin, the ultimate atoning for all iniquities and all the pain and all the scars that many of us carry, those will be wiped away. What do we know this text says? Well, number three, here's what we know. Every difficulty we face will seem a distant memory when the end of the 70 weeks is complete. Friends, when we sit at the table with Jesus, all of the things that we're struggling with today will be a long distant memory. It, it won't matter because we'll be with Jesus. We'll be sitting at his table so some of us who wanna pull our hair out because we can't get our kids to sleep through the night, for those of us struggling in difficult marriages, for those of us hurting because of money problems, for those of us hurting because of difficult family situations, here's the hope. The hope is that all of that disappears when we sit at table with Jesus, when he returns and makes all things right. 
So how long, O Lord? Well, we are all waiting on the Lord to do something. So just wait and cling to him. Just wait and cling to the Lord through his word and through prayer. Isn't isn't that what Daniel did as he was waiting, crying out, God, how long, how long? He went to the word and he found the words of the prophet Jeremiah and he called out to God in prayer. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, Lord, how long? Cling to him through his word and through his prayer. Just wait and cling to the Lord through caring for his people. That's what Daniel did as he's calling out on their behalf. He's caring for the people. So if you're in that place this morning asking, Lord, how long, how long, how long? Cling to Jesus through his word, through prayer, and through caring for the people of God. I'll just close with the close of this prayer that we find. Now, therefore, O oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Friends, pray this last part of this prayer in your heart with me as I read it. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people, that's us, are called by your name. God, we love you. Uh, I pray now for those in the room who are feeling uh, frustrated, who are feeling unloved, who are feeling forgotten because they're asking the how long question. Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that you would send your Holy Spirit in a special way to minister to their hearts this morning. I pray for those um, who are hurting today, Lord. I pray for those who are forgotten today, Lord. I I pray for those uh, who carry scars today, Lord. Would you hear their cries? Would you send um, the, the, the angels to minister to them, to minister to them in a very special way this morning, God. We need you. Uh, we are not calling out and, and, and making these requests because of our righteousness, but we're making these requests uh, based on your grace and your mercy. You love to minister to your people. You love to pour out grace and forgiveness and healing on your people, Lord. So pour out healing this morning on broken hearts, Would you do that for us, God? We're we're asking for your name's sake and because of your greatness. And so we ask that this morning, we ask you to incline your your ear. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, act. We ask all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, amen.